Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Holly Christine Hayes. Holly was rescued out of a life of trauma nearly 20 years ago and knows the path to recovery can be long and rocky. She is now the founder and CEO of Sanctuary Project, a survivor-run nonprofit social enterprise employing and empowering women who have survived lives of trafficking, violence, and addiction. Her vision and leadership create a safe place for other survivors to grow in practical skills, unleash their creativity, embrace their femininity, and heal their hearts, all in community with other survivors. Join us today for a conversation about God's redemptive story and how God can use your pain to help others through theirs. Hello, Holly. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. Hi, Rachel. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Nearly 20 years ago, you found sanctuary from a world of addiction and sex trafficking, and now you are deeply passionate about helping other women find sanctuary too. So Holly, would you share this part of your story with us? Absolutely. So I grew up in a family that was not uh, a faith-filled family. I did not grow up in a Christian home. And so I think growing up, there was always sort of a question about my identity and and my worth and, and my value. Uh, And then very early on in my life, I suffered from some sexual abuse from a caretaker. And I think that ended up shaping a lot of the decisions I made moving into my teenage years. So uh, around 14, I um, started drinking and using drugs, uh, partly to escape from that, from that pain of my childhood that I hadn't processed. And pretty quickly that spiraled into a life of addiction. And when you're lost in a life of addiction, what ends up happening is you become a target for exploitation. And so for me, that, uh, that took on several forms very early on. I became a target for abusers and uh, ended up in, in abusive relationships from a, from a young age. I think my first one was at age 16. And, and then from there, that spiraled into um, to someone exploiting me to the point that I was trafficked. Um, I met that abuser when I was 19 and was uh, was trafficked between the ages of 19 and 21. And during that time, really uh, felt my sense of self-worth and value just diminished to absolutely nothing. I believed at that point that I was only worth what a man would pay for me. And uh, I ended up, after about two years of this really horrible, abusive relationship with my trafficker, Um, I stopped showing up for the jobs he was lining up for me and uh, just because my addiction had taken over at that point. And after two years, I I finally got away from him uh, when he kicked me out because I wasn't showing up for those jobs he was lining up for me. So um, I even failed it at being trafficked, which you would think being trafficked was, was the worst thing that could happen. But, um, but, it, but I actually went one lower when, when I failed at it and ended up homeless. And so at the age of 21, I was homeless and lost in my addiction and had been abandoned even by my trafficker and was on the floor of a public bathroom. And three words fell out of my mouth. I said, God, help me. And I never believed in God. I'd never had any experience with God. Anytime I met someone who believed in God, I ran as far away as I could. Um, But in that moment, something happened and uh, that God rushed in and, uh, and sent aid. And I ended up meeting someone that very night who got me into a recovery program. And I got sober that day and have been sober um, since that moment, which was uh, almost 20 years ago, 19 years ago. Uh, it'll be 20 years in February and got away from my trafficker and just started a whole new life. 
I, I want to first say I'm sorry for all that you've gone through mm-hmm. um, and the, the courage that it takes to share your story. And and so you, you've actually written a book about your story titled From Basement to Sanctuary, Finding Healing and Transformation Through Surrender. So I'd love to hear more about this process of healing and and maybe what surrender looked like for you. Yeah. So surrender is funny because you would think it's like a bad thing to end up on the floor of a bathroom, right? Um, but I think that was one of my holiest moments of my life. I think for all of us, we can point back to our lives and say there was a moment where we ended up on the floor uh, in our sin, right? Yeah, <laughs> Usually it's the right. floor of a bathroom, I think. Right. <laughs> I don't know what it is about bathrooms, but they're holy places, <laughs> I'm telling are. you, right? Like, I think everyone I've ever talked to is like, yes, I do have that bathroom floor moment. Yeah, no, and the, that's funny. Right? And the bathroom floor can look different. I think, you know, I've been, and I've had several bathroom floor moments in my life since, right? Where I've just been driven to the end with my sin. And at that time, you know, 20 years ago, the sin was addiction and the sin was, um, was being lost in sexual exploitation and, uh, and not knowing my identity and not knowing I was a child of God. But that's happened for me in several different ways over the last 20 years. And in every situation, the common thread was I got to the end of myself and, um, and landed on my knees in front of God and said, I can't do this anymore. God, help me. God, take it. And so I'm a huge fan of that bathroom floor moment. I'm a huge fan of us getting to a point of just complete and total brokenness with our own sin and ourselves and getting to the end and saying, okay, I can't do this anymore. God, help me. So the book really walks through my own experiences with that, not just from that uh, from that point of you know 20 years ago, but also from uh, points that happened later that that just led me deeper and deeper into relationship with Christ to the point that I can now actually say I have healed from those things. Um, and I, and now I'm able to walk other women through that healing process. Okay. Well, so on that note, Holly, you are the founder and CEO of Sanctuary Project, which is a survivor run nonprofit social enterprise employing and empowering women who have survived lives of trafficking, violence, and addiction. So would you tell us more about the Sanctuary Project and how it first came to be? Yeah, so I spent a lot of years mentoring women who had come out of trafficking and violence and addiction. And really, I like to talk about it in in those three words because often those three things are so linked. Obviously, in my story, they were linked, but I find more and more, the more women I'm in contact with coming out of sex trafficking, there is a link there between violence and addiction. Uh, Either they've had an addiction that has led them to, that their traffickers have exploited, or a lot of times the traffickers are encouraging an addiction or, um, or creating a scenario where they get them addicted to drugs, which helps them to perform what the, what the traffickers are asking of them, right? So, um, so I noticed that what would happen over the years is that as I was mentoring women, they would identify as an addiction survivor or they would identify as a domestic violence survivor, but often didn't know they'd been trafficked. And that was my situation as well. I had no idea I was being trafficked. I actually just saw it as I was in an abusive relationship and he was selling me to other men, but I didn't know that that meant I was being trafficked by him. I had no idea what the definition of trafficking was. And so over the years of mentoring women, I've noticed this link and really noticed, okay, these women actually need to transform their whole lives. Women coming out of sex trafficking are not just recovering from being exploited by a trafficker. They're recovering from all kinds of trauma associated with that 
uh, with that trafficking situation. And they're in most cases recovering from an addiction simultaneously. So what we've created at Sanctuary Project is a place where we can actually help and heal the holistic woman. Um, so we're, we're working with them not just on rebuilding their lives from that sexual trauma and giving them meaningful employment that's not related to sex work, but also working with them on creating a sense of community and a safe place for them to heal from that violence and a community that encourages sobriety and encourages them to uh, heal from their addiction as well. So it's been an incredible journey. I started it three years ago. It'll be three years in February. And over the last three years, we've now offered more than 10,000 hours of employment to women coming out of trafficking, violence, and addiction. We have a jewelry, wow. we have a jewelry line. So we make, um, we make jewelry together in community and, um, and, and sell those products. And, um, and then we have a care component to that as well, where we're offering recovery coaching and advocacy for these women to help empower them to move into the next stage of their life, whatever's coming next after Sanctuary Project. Uh, I wish that this was a video podcast because uh, honestly, it's, you're bringing me to tears because of the, the beauty that God has created out of the ashes, but then also how you're bringing so much beauty into the ashes of others. And so I mentioned before this podcast how excited I was about having this conversation with you because I think what you're doing is such a beautiful representation of offering our love. Mm. You know, you're offering your life and um, and, and so, you know, as I think about human trafficking, you know, I, I'm here in Kentucky, I kind of live in a, a very much a bubble, yeah. <laughs> I think. And so for me, as I was thinking about this topic, I think sometimes human trafficking can feel very far away. Yeah. But the reality is, is that it is, um, it's the reality of so many. And so, in, in, in fact, according to the International Labor Organization, there are 40.3 million victims of human trafficking globally yep. and then thousands of those in the United States. So, Holly, I'd love for you to just educate us all more on this subject. Like, what is human trafficking specifically? And then what are some of the forms that it takes? Yeah, so the, the statistics are overwhelming, aren't they? I mean, 40 million people yeah. trapped in trafficking. So a lot of the what we see internationally is what's called labor trafficking. Um, so a good portion of that is um, people being caught in forced labor. So that means they're being uh, held against their will and forced to do labor for a factory or a company. Um, and most of the time we see that overseas. But what I deal with mostly is what's called sex trafficking. And what that means is that someone is committing a commercial sex act through force, fraud, or coercion. So that's how uh, the, the word sex trafficking is defined. It's a commercial sex act committed through force, fraud, or coercion. And so what that means, and a lot of times this is so manipulative, right? Like in my scenario, I didn't know I was being trafficked. I would not have articulated it that way. Um, I may have thought I was a sex worker or that I was being exploited in some way, but I wouldn't have known to have that language associated with it. Because a lot of times a trafficking victim, I think what we think of is the movie Taken, right? We think that yes, someone's yeah. kidnapped out of their window or, um, you know, taken from this loving home and then, and then they're chained to a bed somewhere and, and sold for sex. 
Um, and that's not always the case. In fact, in the overwhelming majority of cases, the trafficker is a known person. So we see a lot of what's called a Romeo pimp, where the trafficker develops a relationship with their, um, with their victim and then starts exploiting them. A lot of times it's a family member. We see this far too often where a family member is actually the person selling the child or selling the, um, the young woman. And, and so it's a, a trust that they've built, right? And that's where that uh, that that coercion comes in, um, you know, force is clear. Force is something that happens through violence or through, um, you know, like that being chained to a bed scenario. But that fraud and coercion is a little bit more nuanced. And so both overseas and here in America, the sex trafficking we see is often more related to uh, coercion and um, and manipulation than it is to force. Uh, and then there's subtle forms of force as well. So in my case, I had this constant threat of violence because I knew this man was violent and he had been violent with me from the start of the relationship. And so there was always that fear of violence. But the, the fraud and the coercion really came in in, uh, in subtler forms and manipulation. So I think when we look at fighting sex trafficking, we have to first help women who are victims of it understand that they're being trafficked. And there's a lot of education that needs to happen around that. I, I speak in the jails regularly. I go into Travis County Jail every week here in Texas, and, um, and I talk to the women and tell my story. And Every single time I tell my story, there's tears on, you know, just rolling down faces of several women there who are realizing for the first time that they were trafficked. So it's really important for us to get that education out there so people can help identify it. Oh, you know, and it just makes me think about just, I don't know, just how much evil that there is, I guess. Um, And so what, what are some signs, you know, this is an awareness and and an education. So tell us some signs that we should look for. You know, if we, in our community, if we're seeing some of these things, how do we know that it could be human trafficking? Most of the time it's going to be more outright than you would imagine. So you're going to see, um, you're going to see sort of, uh, signs of abuse, right? So, um, this, and this is where, uh, healthcare workers are probably going to see it more often than a lay person would. If you're just walking down the street, you're most likely not going to be able to spot a sex trafficking situation, but a healthcare worker could easily um, spot those kinds of situations. Police officers could easily spot those kinds of situations. What we're working on is helping healthcare workers and police actually identify and ask the right questions. Um, you know, a question I like to ask when I'm talking with girls who are potentially being exploited is, um, is so tell me about your boyfriend. Do you, do you love him? Is he good to you? And I'll start to ask those questions and then her eyes will, will dart when I say, is he good to you? And, um, she's like, well, you know, most of the time. And, um, and then I'll just ask, you know, does he, does he ever ask you to do things you don't want to do? Or, um, and you know, and maybe their eyes will dart around and no, not really. And, and then as I ask more, I'll, you know, maybe I'll start to ask, um, has he ever, has he ever like, asked you to have sex with someone else or so you can start conversations like that when you're in a trusted relationship with them. Um, I don't recommend that for lay people. I think for, for, uh, the average person, I think it's important for us to just be spreading awareness that human trafficking exists and then to be making sure that the healthcare workers in our community and the police in our community know what questions to ask so that they can help identify the trafficking victims. Well, so on this topic of, of loving people well as, as a love offering, what would you say are some of the greatest needs of survivors and, and how is Sanctuary Project filling them? 
So the first is outreach. I think first we have to find those women that are being exploited and those girls that are being exploited. And so that can happen through the police in your local community, and that can happen through um, partnerships with nonprofits and um, and healthcare workers, like I was saying. And so we have to we have to identify them first. Um, and then the next thing is advocacy. So they need help. Um, they need resources. They need to be pointed to safe housing. They need to be um, given the the equipping to uh, deal with their addiction or whatever trauma they're they're facing coming out of it. Um, I am so passionate though about the employment and empowerment that needs to come next. There's a lot of organizations doing great work around out, outreach and advocacy. Um, there's so many nonprofits that have come alongside the anti-trafficking work over the last 10 years, and I love it. And I love that we each have our own specialty. Uh, but what I feel so called to is the employment piece and empowerment. Because work has been tied to sexuality and because work has been um, so distorted and so manipulated by the trafficker, it's really hard for a woman who's coming out of trafficking to find dignified and meaningful employment. And to go from being exploited all day long and um, having sort of a false sense of making money, because in most cases, the trafficker is taking all the money you're making. But if you've felt like you're being paid all day long for sex all, you know, through however many years you've been exploited, and then you're rescued out of that, in a lot of cases, the women don't really see that as a rescue. They actually see it as their livelihood being taken because their traffickers are often meeting all their basic needs. They're, they're keeping a roof over their head. They're keeping them fed. They're keeping their addiction, their addiction feed. Uh, they're, they're keeping their addiction fed. They're, um, and they're making sure their nails are done and their hair is done and all those kinds of things. And so when they're rescued and brought into a, what we would consider a safe um, place for healing. They're so tied to their security coming from their trafficker that we need to make sure we're providing a new opportunity for security for these girls and women. And so that's where the employment piece comes in and why we created Sanctuary Project. Um, I, um, you know, I, I, I so passionately wanted to see women who were coming out of this work, be able to do something that, that was not just um, meaningful and safe, but also beautiful. You know, I think a lot of times if you're coming out of this life, there's, there's a criminal record. Sometimes there's certainly trauma that, um, that's keeping you from, uh, being, uh, open to a lot of career options. Um, there's, there's just all kinds of factors at work that, that can, hinder someone from going into, let's say, a normal career in marketing or <laughs> in, um, you know, in technology or something. And so mm -hmm. maybe they don't have a high school education or a college education. And so what I wanted to do was create a place where they actually could make beautiful things all day long. And so talk about a love offering, right? I wanted this to be a place where they could feel so loved and feel so um, like what they're making is beautiful. And then what they're, what they're doing is actually creating a love offering to send off into the world as well. Right. So it's both a right. love offering to them internally and a love offering externally. So I think, um, you know, I, I would, I would love to see more places creating opportunity for employment and empowerment for women coming out of trafficking. And I think that's one of the best ways we can really help survivors. Well, so, okay, so you're based out of Austin, yeah. Texas, yes, is it that is. right? Yeah. Well, so I'm thinking, you know, like, there, you know, obviously people around our nation and around the world need help in these same areas. So, um, I don't know, what is your vision for this project? You know, can we move out? Obviously, your, your jewelry, just so everybody knows, is 
sold um, at Target. So if you have a Target, you can go and get and support this cause. But I'm wondering if there's other ways that we can support what you're doing. So, you know, I, I do have a dream of Sanctuary Project expanding to many cities down, down the line. And, um, and I think, but I think there's, you know, if you look around, there are nonprofits and anti-trafficking organizations doing this work in every city. And so really partnering with your local nonprofits is a wonderful way to help. Um, yeah, obviously shopping Sanctuary Project, you can, you can shop us on our website at sanctuaryproject.com or on target.com. Um, and, you know, that's a wonderful way to support us. And we actually have this partnership with Target that's great where we're just selling online so that everything that comes through there is being fulfilled by the women we employ. Um, so we didn't just send our product to Target and, and let them sell it. They actually are selling it online and then we get to fulfill it, which is incredible because it means even when someone shops our products there, we're still able to offer more employment to our women in Austin, Texas. And, um, and as we expand, hopefully to our women in, you know, in Kentucky and in, uh, in New York and in San Francisco (laughs) and and whatever other cities we're we're able to employ survivors in uh, going forward. Yeah. Well, okay. So what, what would you say is the ultimate goal of sanctuary? I mean, I think the biggest thing is just to see lives transformed. We are not an outwardly Christian company, but inwardly um, we are and inwardly our values. This, this was not my dream. Um, You know, the Lord birthed this dream in me three years ago and showed me a vision where I was going to see women actually coming to know him and seeing their lives completely and totally transformed and helping them to actually find that feeling of sanctuary. Um, But not just the feeling of sanctuary, to find a place that is sanctuary for them. And so for me, I found that in Christ. And uh, it's impossible for everything we do internally to not spill into that, right? Um, So my hope is to see everything about the logistics of their life transformed, right? I want to see them in meaningful employment, in beautiful, safe housing. I want to see their identity transformed and I want to see their heart transformed. But I most of all want to see their souls transformed and want to see these women developing a relationship with the healer and the one who can redeem everything they've been through in their lives and in their past. Uh, just as he, do, as, he, as he has done for you. And, you know, I, I'm kind of springing this question on you, but I see that you're actually married and you have um, a child, a child or more than one. Just child. one. Yeah. We have a one, a one-year-old daughter. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I'm just interested, Holly, to hear, you know, how did he redeem kind of your relationship mm-hmm. with men um, and, and to find love again and be open your heart to love. And then what would you say maybe is your, is your hope for um, your daughter? And, you know, I'm thinking about, I have a daughter and I have a son and, and so what does that look like as we parent our children um, in light of the world yeah. we live in? The, the area of relationship and love in my life was the longest and hardest road of redemption I've walked. And I talked about that bathroom floor and finding myself on the bathroom floor again and again and again. And so much of that right. is connected to relationship over the years. And so um, my husband and I got married in 2016. I was saved in 2001. So you can, you can see how long that process took of healing. But thank mm-hmm. God, you know, I mean, 
thank God he, he walked me through all of that to the point that I'm so grateful I didn't marry my husband until I was 36. I'm so grateful I didn't become a mom until 39 because the woman I was, you know, just two years out of that life or five years out of that life even was not the woman I am today. And so I'm so grateful for every, um, for every failure really in relationship and um, every bathroom floor moment that just got me more and more connected to the love of God that I could finally receive love from a good man. And my husband is a good man. And I mean, you know, when I, when I think about our love and our courtship, I mean, it was just so fairy tale. Like I, we met in San Francisco, we were both living in San Francisco. We met in a Bible study there, um, but he never asked me out. And then I, he moved here to Austin, Texas, and I moved to Paris, France. And I was working for a church in Paris, France as their worship leader and, um, and just loving my life as like a single woman in Paris, you know? and um and then we both were back in town in san francisco one weekend i was there for a wedding and he was there for a funeral and we ended up seeing that each other were in town on social media and connected with each other and just completely fell in love that night we went and got dinner and totally fell in love over that dinner and it was so sweet. I had gotten a promise from the Lord that he had a husband for me and that he was going um, to woo me across oceans and across time. And that was the promise that I felt the Lord had spoken mm. to my heart. And I didn't know how literal that would be because this man, you know, we'd been friends for a couple of years at that point. So it was across time. And then I was living on the, uh, in another continent. And so it was actually literally across oceans that he pursued me. And so he, um, so he moved to Paris, France to date me and got an apartment there. And he is the most adorable American country boy you've ever met. <laughs> and so, I mean, he would walk yeah. into these like boulangeries and be like, bonjour, <laughs> <laughs> with his big American smile and they thought he was a cowboy and it was just so cute. But we had the sweetest courtship and romance and it just was so healing to my soul. And I remember telling him about my life and my past at one point and just being so ready for him to shame me or walk away as I'd had happen, unfortunately, with several Christian, I put in quotes, men I dated. Um, but uh, and I told him how insecure I was and I said, like, I know it's a lot to handle and that you, you know, like I've in the past, I've shared this with men and they've run away. And, um, and he said to me the sweetest thing, he said, who wouldn't want in on this redemption story? And I just like melted and, um, you know, and I think we pray the same for our daughter that as we share, you know, she gets older and I start to share a little bit of mommy's life and the work mommy does and, um, and, and what God has redeemed in mommy's life. I pray that she will her whole life always feel like she gets to be in on this redemption story and that she, that she has a beautiful redemption story because of what God's walked me through. Oh, yes. And you know, we, we all have walked a different road, but it's it's available to every one of us. Um, and, and so maybe my second to final question for you, Holly, is um, what about, what would you say to, about mm-hmm. forgiveness? You know, the, 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 from the very beginning of your story and the people that um, hurt you and, and throughout the, your early, I guess, college years and, you know, tw- early 20s, what would you say about um, how you were able to forgive the people that hurt you. I think so without much. understanding how much we have been forgiven, forgiveness is impossible. But but when we when when we look at the lens of Christ and how He forgives, it is um, it it's 
um, it's reckless almost, right? Um, he, he forgives so completely and without caveat. Um, and I think when I fully understood how much I had been forgiven, it was impossible for me not to forgive. I remember this moment where I was, um, I was driving one day and I was like listening to a podcast about David and how God had forgiven him for being a murderer and an adulterer. And I remember just sort of wrestling with God in that moment and being like, God, how could you forgive a murderer? Really? Like, that's, that, like, that is the worst thing that anyone could possibly do. I mean, obviously adultery too, right? But like how I, I, I sort of knew he'd forgiven me from my adultery because he had shown me the scripture in John 8 where Jesus forgives the adulterous woman. And, and so I, under, I could understand that, but I could not understand how he could forgive a murderer. And I remember him in that moment just speaking completely and directly to my soul. And he said, Holly, you're a murderer. You've murdered five, five of my babies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was reminded of my abortions in that moment. I'd have, I, over the years that I was in those abusive relationships and, and being trafficked, I had gotten pregnant five times and had had five abortions. And I didn't know the Lord at the time. And I didn't, I didn't know those were life. You know, I, um, I believed the yeah. lie that they were a clump of cells or, you know, that they, that they couldn't feel anything um, because those were the things I was told. And in that moment, he completely convicted me. His Holy Spirit showed me that I was a murderer. And he said, and I forgive you. And I felt his overwhelming forgiveness. And it was like in that moment, I could see it on the cross. I could see it on his body. I could see my murder on the cross. I could see my murder on him. And in that moment, I think forgiveness completely transformed for me because I realized he paid much too high a price for me to not be forgiven and for me to not forgive every single wrong that's ever been done. And so when I'm struggling with forgiving Mm -hmm. someone, you know, I still, there are moments where I still struggle um, with forgiving abusers or um, there were rapes I went through. They're just horrific things. Right. And, um, and, and so what I do is I literally imagine it on the body of Christ on the cross. I put it on like a specific point. (laughs) Like, where is it? Where is that on the cross? Where is that sin? Because you took every sin for all mankind for all time. So where's that one? And I'll allow him in my mind's eye to show me where that one is. And as soon as I see it on Christ's body, I can't hold on to it anymore because I know he paid too high a price for it. And so I think I've had to make it so visceral. I've had to make it so real. And I've had to really remind myself that there is no unforgivable sin. Um, if, you know, if, if he can forgive me for my sin, if I confess my sin, he is faithful to forgive it and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So that means I'm called to do the same. So I also believe he's just, and I believe there will be justice. And, um, it's been, and, you know, it's been incredible to do the work I do because I get to see justice done all the time. And I get to see justice in the redemption stories I walk through with other women as I pull them away from their, from their abusers. I get to see justice as I see them transformed and walking into successful relationships. I get to see justice. So I think that, um, you know, God's justice is, is also, is also helpful, but it's a journey. I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not done with that journey. There's, um, you know, there's always going to be a a journey of forgiveness ahead and for all of us. Right. I don't think that's even just, just for people who've been trafficked. I think it's, um, it's one of the hardest principles for us to walk out. And so I've had to make it just so real and so visceral. Yeah. 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 Give 70 times seven. And I think you're exactly right. And you know, something as I've just been listening to you and your story and and how God found you in that moment, even though you didn't believe in God, but you knew enough Mm -hmm. to say, God help me. 
And so I just, I keep thinking about like the, the, the law, the one lost sheep and how he is always pursuing us, whether we're pursuing or even know to pursue him and how you are now going after the one. And so I just, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> I'm, still, I'm about to get on the verge of tears again, but just so, so beautiful. And so my final question for you, Holly, um, one that I ask all of my guests is, how do you think that we can best be love offerings based on your experience? I think the biggest thing is to offer love from the place of healing you've walked through. You know, we've, we've all, like I said, been on that bathroom floor in our sin, right? And we've all seen some sort yeah. of redemption story in our lives. And I think that's where we're best equipped to offer love. And I think it's so individual. Like God gives us each these individual stories to walk through so that we can minister to those that, that have similar stories. And so for me, having walked through the things I've walked through with trafficking and violence and addiction and, and those broken relationships and, and abuse, I'm so, it's so easy for me to feel compassion and love for the next girl walking through that. And it's such a gift from the Lord to have that love to give and to offer. And so I think for each of us, it's looking at your life and your heart and where has he redeemed you? Because where he's redeemed you, he has filled that area of your life with his grace and his mercy and his love. And if your life is filled with his grace and his mercy and his love in that area, then that's the place we pour out from. That's the place we pour onto our children or onto mm. our friends or onto those we can minister to in our, in our churches or just out in the world. Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, okay. Other than buying some pieces online at Target. Um, tell us how else we can stay connected with find you us on Instagram, Project. find us on Facebook, follow us there. Um, you can shop sanctuary project directly through us. Um, or you can shop sanctuary project on target.com, which is super exciting. We just launched there. Um, and then we also are doing end of the year giving campaigns and things like that. We are a nonprofit and we offer a sponsor, a survivor program. So we're always looking for um, people who are willing to come alongside our women and sponsor a survivor, especially through the holiday season. So, um, yeah, you can find us all, all those places. Uh, well, wonderful. And I'll include all of that information in the show notes as well. But Holly, I am just honored Thank that you, you Rachel. would be my guest today. And I just um, am so inspired by all you're doing for this cause to create a sanctuary for women and inspiring us to do the same. You God too. Bless Thank you, so you Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's conversation with Holly Christine Hayes. I hope that through this conversation, you were able to realize God's redemptive story in your own life and to see how God can use your pain to help others through theirs. If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I would love to connect with you there. And you can also have them sent directly to your inbox each week by going to rachelkadams.com to subscribe to receive your weekly love offering newsletter. Also over on the website is the weekly love offering blog series where every Thursday a new guest writer is sharing her story on how she has loved well or been loved well so that we can learn how to do the same. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, and reviewed the Love Offering podcast, I would so appreciate if you would take the time to do that just so other women can find the same love offering message. Next week, my guest is the Gingham Apron. 
They are the authors of The Gathering Table, and they're on the show talking about growing strong relationships through food, faith, and hospitality. I can't wait to chat with you then, but until then, I hope you have a terrific week, and as always, remember to lead with love.